I'm Kelly Deal. Hey, I'm Mike Montgomery. And we are talking about our new record, Ignite the Wreck. Wreck. <laughs> Ignite the Wreck. That's a good one. That's really good. It's called Ignite the Rest. Um, and we are up to track three, which is called Singing Tower. And I was just talking to Mike about this. My my recollections of how that song kind of came into existence. We were rehearsing at my house in Dayton, Ohio. You had come from Cincinnati and it was late after your work. And I was getting um, coffee in the my kitchen and you were in the big room with the mic and the um, and you had your guitar on and stuff. I was making up my coffee and I could hear this most beautiful sound of this guitar going and this really high-pitched voice and it it had some reverb on it or must have been my I had put reverb on you or something I don't know there was some reverb on you were singing really high it was just so gorgeous and I came back into the room and said now wait what what song was that you're like nothing I'm just fooling around because I've got reverb on my voice or something and I was like oh that's so pretty play that some more oh yeah I was um probably just kind of messing around with some notes or sometimes wherever you're you know if you grab the guitar wherever my hand is kind of like the fingers just form the same kind of claw wherever it is on the neck <laughs> and just plunking around kind of and I do remember you had put reverb on the on the practice PA and so sometimes if a melody is out of my normal range if I'm a certain register or something I'll just go to falsetto just to kind of mess with the notes and I and they sounded good through the reverb so I think I was just kind of killing time waiting for you to come back in yeah it sounded really good and yeah so probably from far away in the other room it sounded like down the hall you know even more spacious yeah it was really pretty yeah. we just kind of kept pulling that out and would listen to it we would always go back to that and go oh isn't that pretty yeah it didn't like jump right into into play immediately because it was kind of like well we're not really going to do a song where i sing that high you know (laughs) so i just kind of thought but i did keep liking the melody and i thought well it's really simple but that's not really right something we're going to do now right you know and then and then i do remember like it was just kind of hanging there for a while but it wasn't like in the club with the other songs and I do remember being in in Europe when we did our tour over there and there was a night that we had off and um, it was when Michael was with us Michael Kane was driving around with us and I don't remember where the hotel was that he had gotten but we kind of had nothing to do that night uh-huh. and it was early things kind of close early in Europe in a lot of places you know at least yeah. whatever I don't, I, I, it would be a lot better if I remember what town we were in. But. I, I can't remember. It was off the uh, off the road. <laughs> yeah, it was off a road somewhere, some sort of place where people sleep <laughs> off of a road. I don't know what it's called. Right. Some sort of European type of structure where travelers stay if they're not at their own house. It's a real European <laughs> moment we were having. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, so we were just like sitting there, like working on songs, and we decided we would work on that one. And he was in the room with us, like, you know, just kind of hanging out, watching after dinner. Yeah. I remember we made progress on it that night, you know, where you actually like figured out like what you would play on guitar. Yeah. And we and we're like, okay, this really could work, but it needs to kind of like 
hand off some moments to another guitar and this thing. Yeah. You're not going to double what I'm doing. You're not going to pick along, but you need to like, if, if it's so, it was really delicate with me singing that high. And so it's like, all right, well, what does this other thing, instrumentation or your voice, what is it going to do? Right. And I didn't really want to, I didn't want it to be where my, where my high falsetto voice was like the lead. I really wanted you to sing it. And I was like, I'm just, this is just a melody here. You have it. And no. You, and no, you sing it high. Yeah. And then came in like low and strong just on certain words, which I really liked, you know. So really it was like your low voice was, was a thicker, bigger voice that really kind of anchored it. Right. And then your guitar does these kind of like, your guitar almost plays like a, like a percussion or a drum part, the bum, bum, you know, it strikes these notes like a. Yeah. You know, you don't churn along with me or strum, chug, you like strike very particular notes. So that I remember that night at that European establishment was when we um, kind of worked all that out. Yeah, that's good. Then one of the first times we ever played it was probably in London. And I know you were not you were not feeling it necessarily, but um, yeah. I couldn't. It's a vulnerable moment. It is. It to is. sing real high like that because I'm not what you would call like a singer, you know, a trained voice with control or, uh, you know what I mean? I do, but it was so effective, you know, because it is such a a vulnerable moment and somebody is sharing something and it's it's really beautiful sounding. It's um, I couldn't people seem to really respond to it as well. Nobody was talking. You could hear everything, which is very different from when you know, like back in the states when we pull that thing out and you know it's usually if it's a rowdy crowd that's the first song i isn't that the cut usually it. Yeah. yeah it gets cut it's just you know although maybe we need to try turn that into like a punk version try to find a punk version of that where we just <laughs> do it super fast you know and you scream yeah. it instead of well, singing it well i mean it is kind of punk rock if to just do what you want to do when you want to do it i think that is punk rock so if a crowd is rowdy as shit, like, you know, this tiny little squirrel voice is going to sing this really high <laughs> note, you know. So before we talk about the recording of that, the, the words, the lyrics. Oh, yeah. I just was thinking of like uh, a singing tower is like a name of uh, um, a company that makes like basically bells for churches, you know, to replace actual church bells so the singing tower is a is a brand of like a replica bell speaker set that will make the sounds of a bell in a church tower in a steeple i think if i saw i think i was like in like running wire somewhere in an old church and i saw the device and i thought singing to oh that is weird yeah it makes towers and whatever and then i started thinking about steeples and bell towers and stuff and then i remembered um in a small town in Indiana where my great uncle lived, he grew up like and spent his whole life in a little house right across from a church there called St. Ben's. And every time I would go to visit him, like that's where I would go and just like walk out from his house and play in the parking lot there or at their playground. There was a school attached and stuff. And so then when I got older, you know, 11 or 12 and was skating and stuff, every day I would go over there and skate and the priest would chase me out of there and like chase after me and you know say they were called the cops and so Aww. i just i would go and skate get chased out go and skate get chased out and my uncle just thought it was 
hysterical. He did? Cause, yeah, because he, he was like 90-something, but he went to church there every day. Yeah. And he just oh, thought wow. it was just so funny that, like, I was over there doing that and causing trouble and that I would, you know, he'd say, you going to go over there and ride your skateboard? And I, I would say, yeah, going over there, Gil, and I would go, and I'd be back in, like, 15 minutes, and he'd be like, they yelled at you again, huh? And he just thought it was great that I would do that yeah. all day long. And yes, I just thought of him and I thought of like, you know, he's dead now. And uh, where do you go when you die? I don't know. I just imagine like he spent his whole earthly life there. Maybe he's, he was still up there just floating around that tower. And yeah. I don't know. That's kind of what made me think about that, you know, just being trapped up in that in the bell tower or something. Is it a good feeling or a, a not good feeling? Do you think he would be he would like it? I think of it as benevolent. Probably. Yeah. Oh yeah, but now he was yeah. he's a he would be a benevolent, benevolent ghost spirit. spirit. Sure. Yeah. yeah. He'd be a super friendly ghost. Yeah. Is this the guy who fed you cereal? Yeah, so yeah, yeah he would uh always buy like you know, we couldn't have like sugar cereals or things like that, all the bad shit you're not supposed to eat when you're a kid. Yeah. And he thought it was just great to buy like the most over the top sugar cereals that when we were gonna come and visit him. And then when you would just show up, there would be like 10 boxes of like the oh. most sugary stuff you could get. And then he wouldn't even get milk for him. He would buy heavy whipping cream. Whoa! So, and then we, I would just eat like, I mean, I, it was not uncommon to have 12 to 15 bowls of cereal a day. Oh my God. Was, yeah, we would just eat <laughs> just mass sugar cereal. And he just thought it was great. He would yeah. just give us as much crap as we could literally stomach oh that's so sweet yeah. what's his name yeah gil gilbert um, uncle gilbert yeah oh that's nice then we got uh ready we went went into Candyland when it was while it was still in cincinnati funny name for a studio <laughs> i mean he's got a bit of a sweet tooth huh yeah <laughs> one of the the main things that i remember is that doing my guitar part was it seemed so easy once, at least for my guitar portion, was the my Mustang through my Montgomery Ward tremolo amp that I got at Rich's Pawn Shop here in Dayton, Ohio. This was before eBay and all that, before the online, you know, auctions and stores. You could still find treasures at your local pawn, pawn shops. So I found this Montgomery Ward amp, and it's just the... It, and somebody, I just pulled it out the other day, and somebody said, now, does it have reverb? And I said, no, it just does tremolo. That's all it does. And it, you know, does it so well. That, we used that amp on uh, the last Blash record for, oh, really? yeah, that was, oh, for, um, is that what she sang through? Yes, she sang through that. Weird. Mad Lucas. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I always try, I try to get that same tremolo setting through that little Fender Deluxe. Yeah. I bet it would sound better through that Montgomery Ward. Yeah. Because it's smooth. You know, the Fender has a little bit of a, a more presence to it that the Montgomery Ward does. The Montgomery Ward is very soft around the edges. And there was this idea of like, I, I think she had even said, um, um, couldn't we just take that on tour? And I'm like, no, we, we, we just really, it's really hard for me to say, Hey, can we take that amp? 
you know what? No, you can't. You actually can't take it on. Really? We can't take it? No. Well, how about if we buy a really good tour case for it? You know, really special. And I'm like, no. <laughs> and I'm, that's not usually me, you know? I, I don't usually yeah. do that. But with this amp, man, I just... Yeah, you get, everyone's got their limit. Yeah. This amp stays home, you know? It, well, it goes to the recording studio. Was that like studio. your most special thing? You know, of all of any of music stuff that you have, any equipment. I don't know. I've got. I I love. Yeah, because I'm not saying you're not like careless at all with your stuff, but you're certainly not like overprotective. Like some people are like, you know, they bring their own humidifiers, you know, to the, <laughs> every room. They right. Wipe it down with its own special kerchief dipped in whatever guitar salve or something. <laughs> yeah. That's not really you, but. Yeah. But it's anyway. So this this beautiful sound, you know, you, you put it through anything, it just makes. I mean, we used it on several, you know, um, highlight moments. Like yeah. whatever you put through this, the moment is complete. You know, you you've you don't really need to fuff around with much more on that. Then you know, so that's really nice. Um, I do. I really, it's like a secret weapon. It is. It is a secret weapon. It is. Um, you know, I do know that, you know, that beginning bum, bum, that, that, and then also the drum bits we had in there. Um, I do really like the idea that it was, uh, kind of an orchestrated thing. Like there was this orchestration. It's not a pop song. It's not a rock song, it, but it is a piece of lovely kind of, it is kind of a, a churchy kind of boom, boom, you know? Yeah music and I, I do really like that yeah ditto me too yeah um we first released this as a vinyl on a piece of seven inch vinyl oh yeah with quail bones yes we did forgot yeah so one How of the I, I know one of the first uh when we you and i started touring i think the first kind of tour that we went on um included it was down south and we went to a couple ampli you know places i think that you've been for years and years over the years uh but these are new new to me um like the green lantern in lexington kentucky which i, I just love going to it just makes me happy and this place um in murray kentucky called terrapin station um do you want to talk about how you met Terrapin and Murray. Yeah, I ended up there. Um, Ampline, that the, the, another band I play with, we had done a lot of tours with kind of like a kind of a wild instrumental oh, surf yeah. band called Daikaiju. Yeah. And they, I mean, I thought I played off off the beaten path kind of <laughs> venues. They really play some interesting spots. You know, where you yeah. wind up, you don't even know where because they're. They're as determined as anyone to play every single night of a tour, at least once, twice, three, three shows a day, whatever they can do. Oh my they God. do. I'm exhausted just hearing that. Yeah, they go pretty full on. But they had had been to this place bef before, a record store in Murray, Kentucky, which at that time was a totally dry county. So there were no venues selling alcohol or any clubs or anything like that. And like restaurants didn't even have booze. But there was this little like so in in that sort of vacuum of your traditional town with a, a watering hole or a venue or a club or and whatever. It's a college. Kid, it's college. It's a college town too. Right. Yeah, kids were not kids, but younger people, whatever, were enthusiastic music fans were putting on shows at this record store. Tim Payton 
had worked there for a while and was sort of um, the curator of it. And the there are owners of it, but they sort of had given it over to him to sort of – he was like the shepherd, you know, yeah, yeah. and had really built – a community and a scene around this record store being the hub. Like they got in all the new titles. They have an amazing, diverse selection of music, like very well stocked shelves. Yeah. And uh and they were doing shows there, all ages shows, like free to do a donation to the door, or whatever. It was crazy. And we went and just had such a great show and it was such a great vibe when you're not at a place where the venue exists to sell liquor. Yes. And music is really a trick to get people in there to buy it. And that's just totally in the States, at least that's just totally what rock and roll music is. And on quote unquote, the circuit or playing clubs or venues, it's really like, you know, you're really there to sell beer. It's like at a movie theater, they're not making money off the films. They're making money off popcorn and fruit drinks and nachos and stuff like that. So at the club, like the club's not making money off the show, they're selling liquor. So anytime there's a, a show that happens where that's not even an option. You already know that people are there because they want to be there. They're not there to be distracted by the music while they catch a buzz or whatever, you know? Yeah. So it's already like a different kind of vibe and people are oftentimes more enthusiastic. And when there's not, it's not New York city where there's, you know, a big band coming every night and there's 20 venues you could go to, to see something awesome. You know, you're sort of oversaturated. It just really did feel special. So I made sure to kind of put it on the list all the time if if a tour was going through that area. In fact, we're going back. Yes. In May. And I remember when we went down there, because um, I, I, I have, you know, there's no, I'm like, we're playing a record store? Okay. And you, could, and you were talking about, oh, no, it's really great, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, but it's, we're, we're playing a record store. I mean, yeah, it's great that it's a great record store, but it's, it's a record store and I don't get it. And it was so different because it is, it was at least a dry County van. And also I think, was there five bands that played that night? Probably. Every single band was awesome. Like I think three of them were local bands and maybe two us and maybe another band was kind of from around the three local bands. And all the Murray bands, they're all in each other's bands. They're all exactly each band. Okay. So after the first awesome band played, the bass player from that band would then take the bass off, pick up the guitar or the drums, because he was the yeah. drummer in the second band. And the songs were were really great and um, accomplished, you know, musically and what a song, song narrative. And uh, it's just really good. Um, and I was... I was really surprised by not only what a great vibe and scene and, and stuff, but um, how into actual music they are. So it's not only they weren't there and into it just because they have nothing else to do. And, yeah. you know, I can't go get beer, but they're into it because of their love of music. Yeah. Too. So that was really great. So, um, you know, this is a, another example of us kind of finding these willing um, collaborators on our yeah. on our road and 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 then we stay in of course we stayed you had stayed in touch plenty of times with with tim payton yeah and the tim, guys. tim and the quailbones guys are just like some of the nicest genuinely nice people that you would that, i mean really can he's just such a nice person you know it's like why wouldn't why wouldn't you want him in your life if you can have him of course you want him <laughs> 
You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Of course you want them in your life. It just got brought up again. Let's well, let's do something. Okay. Yeah. And um, we decided to do a split single with um, Quail Bones. They sent a couple tracks, I think, as uh, potentials. Um, Did they? I, yeah. They, there was a couple be, because they were working on some stuff. Oh, I just remember a tip to trick the tide. Did, no, did a, you? No, what a couple, were the other options? A, I can't remember. I can't remember. I would have to dig them up. But a tip to trick the tide was the one that was just like, yeah, that, that's it. And then, um, so. It's kind of got like a, it's kind of like got an 80s vibe, kind of gothy or dark. or yeah. so, You know what I mean? Oh, sure. Yeah. So I'm going to play a tip to trick the tide by Quail Bones.
you know how you, you get obsessed with a song and you just listen to it constantly? Yeah. I listened to it over and over and over. And I remember it was summer and it was just, I would have it loud blast in my car and the windows down and it'd be night and I'd smell grass and crickets going and it was, uh, it was so effective and just, it was such a beautiful soundtrack to that period, that summer and stuff. I just, man, I just listened to yeah, it constantly. Yeah, you remember you wanted to do a, ver a version of I wanted, it. Yeah, I wanted to cover it. Yeah. I could still cover I would love to cover that thing. I'd love okay, to we'll do that to work live. it up still. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I just love it. Murray, Kentucky is the city. Terrapin Station is the record store. Quail Bones is the band. Uh, just Google it. Yeah, Google Duh. Quail Bones. I mean, fuck, it's internet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait a minute. So, yeah, and then we got some really cool artwork. Um, from Ali, he did this this whole octopus in a in a, a a ship, like a crazy not a cartoon, but a well, I guess yeah, it's a pretty it's, it's cartoony, cartoony yeah. kind of illustration. Yeah, yeah, it was a really really great artwork for a seven inch, a great song for us to put on there, a great song from Quail Bones. Um, it was the it was our first thing on sofa burn oh do you want to talk about that okay we had these two songs uh, um kind of ready to go and had been talking to quail bones about okay well how do we want to put it out and i had recently put out a split s single oh, with daikaiju. on a label called sofa burn well that that ampline daikaiju single that was on Frey Tree. Oh, okay and then we did our next single was a split with the band alone at 3 a.m and that and uh, Chris from Alone at 3 a.m. owned, well, owns a record label called Sofa Burn. And that was kind of how I got really working with Sofa Burn. And when I thought about the R Ring thing, I thought, well, you know, Leo was leaving Mizra, Mizra stuff. Yeah. So I was like, well, I'm not sure what's up with that then. And so we hadn't worked with other labels. And I just asked Chris if he would be interested in that. And he said he, would be so that was the first R ring thing on Sofa Burn. Yeah, just a solid dude, and he had a label that was kind of like didn't have a lot of releases at the time, but he was wanting to to do more with it. So, and you know, the thing I like is that the um, I don't know, did we actually sign a contract or anything, or did we just do like a deal? Not for that, I think we just kind of napkin kind of thing. You know, talked about it. To, it was a little bit of one, just kind of saying, hey, this is what this cost and here's how many we're going to make and yeah. stuff like that. And that's where I really, if I need a lawyer to look over a document, then I probably am not going to sign it. Yeah. I mean, everything's different for everybody. You know, if there, if there were like for this thing, a split seven inch, there weren't really that many angles no, to it. Right. So, angles. Yes, exactly. How many ways can you slice a tiny little piece of pie? It's like, <laughs> this wasn't really a big deal. So it was right. pretty, it just kind of felt good for everybody yeah. involved. Yeah. Well, good. So um, this is our track number three, um, and it's called Singing Tower. Um, and all right, I'll talk to you next week, Mike. All right. Have a good evening. You too. Bye. Bye. <laughs>